Brother Garrett and Rick, I was um, thrown off a little bit. I was kind of singing along in my head because I had some water in my mouth. And after that second verse, I jumped. I was fixing to jump up. I grabbed my stuff and was just about to, and then I realized we was going to sing another verse. Threw me off singing three verses. Great song. Glad we did. First Thessalonians chapter one again tonight. First Thessalonians chapter one. You know the. I'm glad you're here uh, for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I'm glad you're here is because the Christian life is not meant to be one that's lived in isolation. And, uh, you know, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we're to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but we're to gather together to encourage each other and to build each other up. That's the Jeremy paraphrase. And, uh, but I'm glad you're here. I was looking at a study recently uh, from the folks at the Barner Research Company. They do a lot of research about Christian uh, issues. This one was earlier this year in March of 2022. And... Uh, they, serve, they just surveyed Christians, okay? So they ask, are you a Christian? If they said yes, then they continue to do the survey. So looking just at Christians, 56% of the Christians they surveyed said they felt like their spiritual life should be lived out completely in private, that it shouldn't be in community like this, that it should just be lived out in private. Now, this gets serious because of that 56%, 70% of the people who think it should be in private said it's not important to grow spiritually. You know, when you just live in it by yourself, you don't see the need to grow spiritually. You don't have people helping to build you up. 45% of those who said they wanted to live it out in uh, private said their faith was not important in their day-to-day -day life. So they're saying that as they go about their life at work or at home or wherever, the decisions they make, the things they say, the places they go, their faith doesn't play a role in those things. 51% of those people said that they, 51% said they spend time with God at least weekly. That means the other 49% who think the Christian life should be lived in private spend time with God less than once a week. So the researchers conclude this. This was one of their concluding sentences. The idea that faith should be kept private is one part of a bigger swirl of negative conditions to be addressed for people to see spiritual growth. You know, it makes me think about uh, maybe a house plant. Most house plants, if you take them and you stick them in a closet, you might open the closet every once in a while and water them and close the door back up, complete darkness. They're going to die from a lack of sunlight, right? And you know, our faith suffers from a lack of sunlight, so to speak, being exposed in public and, and together in community. And as we look at this opening chapter of the first uh, epistle here to the Thessalonians, uh, we find out that the Thessalonian Christians didn't have the problem of living their Christian life in private. They didn't do that. They lived it together in community. They lived their faith out loud. Remember, their faith, was they lived it so big, and so loud in an area where everybody else is worshiping idols, in an area where the least popular thing to do would be to serve Jesus. They lived their faith so loud that they left their mark, Paul tells them, on other churches. Now, before we get to the text again and look at what we'll look at tonight, I want to tell you how big this area was. I failed to do that this morning. This area where, uh, as, as Paul talks about down here, where he talks about they, they put their mark on these churches all over the region. This was a huge area. It would have included churches that you know, like Philippi. 
It would have included uh, Berea, which is mentioned there uh, in the second missionary journey. Uh, Athens, you know the, the name of the city of Athens. Corinth, to which the two letters to the Corinthians are addressed. These are just some of the churches that the Thessalonians would have left their mark on if they left their mark on churches all in that region. Uh, one uh, commentator I was looking at uh, said that this would have been several hundred miles from north to south because Thessalonica was right at the middle of a major trade route. They were per- positioned perfectly to spread the gospel hundreds of miles to the north and hundreds of miles to the south, and that's what they did. Now, I know I've preached on that. We're going to look at a different verse tonight. I've preached on it before, but I think it bears repeating. What did the Thessalonian Christians do to live their faith out loud? It's a good reminder for us tonight, and uh, you know, especially you say this is the Sunday night crowd. This is more the the, the faithful, uh, the most faithful. Well, maybe Wednesday night's the most faithful. I'm kidding, but uh, th- these are some of the, the some of the most faithful people in the whole church. Why do we need it? Because we all need to be reminded of this from time to time. Let's read First Thessalonians chapter one, beginning in verse one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the example set by these Christians, these early Christians in Thessalonica. I thank you for their faithfulness to spread the gospel all over their region and how uh, their faith, because of their faithfulness and because Paul wrote this letter, we see their example. And their example leaves a mark on us tonight, Father. I pray that'll be what happens here today, that the example of the Thessalonians will be uh, stamped onto our hearts so that we'll want to mimic what they did to point others to you. Be with us during this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So, of course, just to recap the background, uh, I think everybody's here tonight was here this morning, but just in case somebody's watching tonight that wasn't watching this morning, a really quick uh, recap of the background, Paul had visited this city of Thessalonica, on his second missionary journey. He preached there for three weeks. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 4, it says, Some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks 
and not few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So a great multitude of people who had been devout, uh, I put Greek in my notes, but I think it's supposed to say Jews there, the, the devout people followed Paul and Silas. Acts 17.5 says the leaders became envious. And then in 17.10 in uh, Acts, we find out that they had to sneak away under the cover of darkness because their lives were threatened. Paul ends up in Athens, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He's so anxious to hear what's going on in Thessalonica that he sends Timothy to get, to get a report. Timothy comes back and look back at what we just read. There was the report says, and you became followers in verse 6 of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. That ought to be the goal of every church. Not to be the examples to everybody in Macedonia and Achaia, but to be the examples of everybody in their region, right? That ought to be our goal as a church and as individuals to set the example for those all in our community of how to follow Jesus Christ. Was this church perfect? No. It was made up of humans. Is Brister Baptist Church perfect? No. Made up of humans. No perfect people are allowed here, okay? We serve the only one perfect human being. He was also God. No perfect people here. Paul points out, though, three things they did that I think are worth emulating. And I think we do that well, but I think there's always room for improvement. I'm thankful to see these things all throughout Bristol. The first thing he says, it's in verse 3. He says, we remember without ceasing your work of faith. He remembers their work of faith. Now remember, I told you this morning, this is just maybe four to six months after Paul was there and began the church. So four to six months earlier, there had been no Christians at all in Thessalonica. There had, uh, these people were not even Christians four to six months earlier. And Paul says, I remember your work of faith. What are we talking about there? Webster says faith is a strong belief in something for which there is no proof. But the Bible says Webster is wrong. Now, he doesn't call him by name, but the Bible refutes what Webster says. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The writer of Hebrews says faith is evidence. Faith is proof. The faith of the Thessalonican church was evident of what they believed. What is faith? And what does faith look like? James, of course, says, he says, I'll show you my faith by what I do, by my works. Faith without works is dead. So the way the Christians in Thessalonica were living, the what things they were doing proved their faith. And even more so for them, I would say, than for us today. Because to live that way in that culture, like we talked about this morning, would have brought about persecution. You had to really know what you believed if you're willing to sacrifice your life and sacrifice your freedom for it. I think as Americans, we are at somewhat of a disadvantage to be so free. The church flourishes where it is oppressed. You know, the church flourishes more in China than it does in the United States, even though you may not see it. Because those people have to be so 
convicted and so convinced of what they believe because they know they could be imprisoned for it. You think about Christians who may be in North Korea could be killed for being Christians and certainly in several of the Muslim nations of the world. But the faith of the Thessalonian church was the evidence of their beliefs and everybody around them knew they were Christians. All the other communities around knew that in Thessalonica, there was people that believed in Jesus Christ. True faith results in life change. And when your faith is true, when your life is truly changed by genuine faith, it affects everybody and everyone around you. Because faith, true faith, cannot be lived in isolation. The next thing he says here in verse 3. He not only remembers their work of faith, he remembers their labor of love. This continues to build on the last point because love is another evidence of true faith, of true saving faith. What is love? Well, it's kind of like what we talked about in Fellowship Hall Sunday School class this morning. It's like mercy. Mercy is not an emotion. Love is not an emotion. It's action. It's how we treat others. Of course, you know what Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 22, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your neighbor. Verse 9 here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, For they themselves, that's everybody else around, declares concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols, listen to this, to serve the living and true God. They served the living and true God. That's what people said. How do you serve God? It's a good question. We all ought to be serving God, shouldn't we? Well, as we look through Scripture, one way that Jesus himself said you serve God, he said, whatever you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. Jesus was saying the way we serve him is to serve others. By doing that, we demonstrate the proof of the love we have uh, for Jesus Christ by serving others. And it's not a one-and-done thing. If we were to look at the, the Greek structure of the verb here and get all technical about everything, what Paul is saying is this is not constrained, this labor of love is not constrained to a set period of time. It's not a one and done thing. It comes from the Greek verb kapos, K-O-P-O-S, which denotes a grueling, wearying kind of toil done to the point of exhaustion. We live in a society that doesn't like to be inconvenienced for the least little thing. And Paul is saying these people labored for the cause of Christ to the point of exhaustion. Can I give you a real-life example? Awana workers. Right? Yeah, I see some heads nodding. Youth workers. I mean, you stick around back here on a Wednesday, and by the end of the night, there's some folks dragging. I would never tell them they look tired because that's not polite, I don't think. But there's some folks dragging by the end of the night. 
You especially, you look at something like VBS, when you do it for five nights in a row, oh, by the last night, you can really tell there's some exhausted folks around, but it's more than that. It's anything we do. What Paul is saying is they put everything they had, all of their energy, all of their emotion, all that they were, they put into serving others and therefore serving Jesus. And you know, when you start doing that, the word gets out. And you know, I think that's why the word gets out about Brister a lot. Is because you folks, I'm proud to be a part of this church. This church serves this community very well. That's why, of course, Mary comes home and tells me something. They're talking about something at school and say, well, let's ask Brister about that. That's why people ask us to help with stuff. It's because they see us serve. They know we go all in. And I'm thankful for that. John MacArthur says that the labor of love that Paul is describing is an effort that strains all of one's energies to the maximum level. We've got to be willing to get up off the pews and serve other people and serve the Lord with all that we have. That's how we reach our community with Christ. That's how we see life change in those around us. It's how we see people walking to the altar. We, if, we, if we want to see people walking to the altar professing Jesus, we can't do this half-hearted. It requires a labor of love. Paul said that's what the Thessalonian Christians did. And everybody around knew about it. One last thing Paul says there in verse 3. He saw their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. Their patience of hope. And that's when you start kind of scratching your head saying, huh, do what? Hope in what? Patience for what? Look back at verse 9 again because that's where the sentence starts. You know, it's funny I say that's where the sentence starts. So, you know, writing papers for school, and I quote a lot of scripture, of course, in seminary papers, and I use Grammarly. Some of you may have ever heard about Grammarly that edits your stuff for you. And it'll say, this sentence is possibly too wordy. And it's usually something that Paul wrote. So anyway, so we have to go back to verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Patience for what? Hope and what? The return of Jesus. Paul says he remembers without ceasing how they worked and demonstrated their faith, that their faith was not dead. He says he remembers how they labored and served others and served Jesus, and he remembers how they had the patience of hope, how they hoped and waited for the return of Jesus. Because here, here's the thing. When we're actively waiting for the return of Jesus, we're going to work harder. We're going to labor harder. We're going to witness harder when we know the return of Jesus is imminent. And Jesus says it is. There's a lot of hopelessness in our nation right now because too many people are focused on a lot of other things than the return of Jesus. Focused on politics, focused on money, focused on a lot of other things. 
I believe what Paul is teaching here is that if we get our priorities in order, nothing else really matters, and life kind of has a way, God kind of has a way of working everything out, right? Paul wrote, for we know that all things work together for good for those who, what, love the Lord, those who are the called according to his purpose. People are too focused on looking for the signs of the time when they ought to be looking for the king to return and ought to be working hard knowing it's going to happen. The church at Thessalonica was vibrant. It was victorious. It was contagious. Their faith was contagious because they were living every day with the expectation that Jesus could come back at any minute. Do we live that way? Do we think that way? That gave them a lot of hope to persevere when things, when times got hard. It gave them a lot of hope to know they could face today because something better is coming tomorrow. And as they lived patiently with hope, their faith spread throughout all the region. And that's the kind of church I hope will always be. Is there anything before we move to the next part of the service? If not, I'll turn things over to Brother Eric.